This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson, alongside Ben Dowsett. We are the editors of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Covering the 0-4 Utah Jazz over the last week, it's, mm. it's been a struggle. Yeah, you could say that. Yes. Um, so we're going to break that down over the next two hours. Maybe give them some crazy trade ideas to um, improve the roster over the next little bit. And uh, we'll also have Zach Harper on the show coming up this segment, uh, writer for CBSSports.com, nationally now based in Utah. He co-hosted the show two weeks ago. Again, thanks, Zach. Uh, and we'll kind of get his national perspective on our, on our crazy trade ideas. Give also, us a barometer for how nuts we are. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we really need to know. I'm taking, by the way, these crazy trade ideas from message boards, from fan suggestions on Twitter, um, all over the place. So it, it's kind of a, a mixed bag of craziness, I okay. guess I could say. So if we should have people send them to us, then should Yeah, and, and if you want, as always, this is a social show. So if you'd like, please send us your crazy trade ideas or even sane ones. We'll accept. Send them to us via Twitter at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Sane might even be better, to be totally honest. What's that? Sane might even be better. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I would prefer sane ideas. Let's let's be honest. But, uh, you know, it almost seems like every trade idea is crazy to some extent, right? Well, it really is because every trade is more is less likely to happen than to not happen. Right. And because there's a reason why these don't just immediately start happening by droves after December 15th, because they're not easy to make happen. And I'll be honest, every time I talk about trade ideas on the show, uh, someone in the Jazz's front office comes and tells me that, <laughs> that, it was tra- that it was crazy later. Not one specific person, like whether it be someone on the coach staff or front office or just someone in the Jazz organization who listens to the show. They're like, man, we're not going to trade for X player. I'm like, well, that's why we call it crazy trade ideas. So yeah. so long as I keep the crazy in there, then I think um, I'm, I'm safe. You're legally covered. Yes. Uh, by the way, also in the show, we're going to be talking defensive rankings uh, of Jazz players. We'll go around the NBA. We'll talk a little bit more about what's wrong with the Jazz, what starting lineups the Jazz should use, uh, and kind of, again, what's happening in the NBA in this larger perspective where the Jazz, despite, again, going 0-4 over the last week, are not, you know, they're only, I believe, a half game or a game out, outside of a playoff spot. So it's kind game. of a weird NBA situation right now. We'll talk about that on the show. But for right now, we've got Zach Harper on the line to join us to start talking about these crazy trade ideas. Zach, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you guys? Good. Hey, thanks for thanks for joining us right off the bat. I I hadn't talked to you guys in quite a while, so I just figured that it's good <laughs> Se- to come on. Separation anxiety, man. It, it gets to right. You. It has been yeah. I mean, what eighteen hours now? Uh, probably no. Just my math about, is bad. Yeah. Anyway, it's too, long. it's too long, but these are the kind of conversations that we have as media and kind of like hanging out around the team is like, what should the Jazz be doing right now in order to kind of improve the team? How, a, I guess, Zach, how bad is, is where the Jazz are right now? And B, you know, what trade acquisitions could kind of help the Jazz? Well, I don't think it's that bad because the rest of the, of the Western Conference is not very good right now. I mean, even... You get into like the five, six seed is what, like, I think Dallas and Memphis. And those teams kind of look like a mess, uh, just on their own. You've got the Rockets, you've got the Nuggets, you've got the Suns, 
Uh, I don't think anyone's really taken the Blazers and, and Kings all that seriously, but there's not like a ton of competition. So I don't think things are bad for them, but they can't keep going the way they're going. They've got to figure something out without Rudy Gobert on the court uh, because it's just too inconsistent. There has to be, my opinion, and I, I, I guess I, it's possible that I could be wrong, and maybe this is just bias from the last few years, but it feels like a couple of those teams are going to have to figure it out in the West. Like, it's it's not just going to be that 500 can get you, like, the sixth seed in the West. There's right. no way that's going to continue, right? Yeah, I don't I don't buy that. Like, I'm not buying this whole, like, the East is better than the West thing. Like, record-wise right now, yes, but I think that's also because the East kind of plays – against themselves, you know, most nights and you can, everyone can be around 500 when all the competition is, you know, kind of weaker. And with the West, it's very top heavy. And that creates a, a kind of a chasm between the, the, you know, the, the upper tier, the middle tier, and then the lower tier. And with the jazz, you know, they, you know, things aren't going great right now, but you know, the Rockets are a mess, you know, the Nuggets are a mess and, and those teams have to get well over 500 in order to guarantee that they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, definitely. Chasm. I like this is why we have you on the show, Zach, is because you say words like that. Big words like chasm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Five letter words. Yeah. Um, yes. So, so Zach, if you were if we were looking at trades, which by the way I, I should say we're doing for two reasons. One is that the Jazz haven't played very well recently, and it looks like maybe a shakeup could help. And also because December fifteenth was very recently, and that means that a lot of guys who couldn't be traded until then can now be traded. So it's more fun to do it. Zach, if you were the Jazz at this point, what would be, first off, uh, an area or two of, of specific need that you'd be targeting? And then do you have any guys in mind who you might be thinking about? Well, I, I think you first start looking at, like, big man depth. Because, as you know, if Gobert, like, let's say the Gobert thing lingers all season, well, you can't get by on, you know, Trevor Booker, Trey Lyles, Jeff Withey to, to compliment Derek Favors. Like, I just don't think that's enough depth at the top and like you can throw Tibor Price in there I guess but I, I just don't think that's enough to really get it done but the real like glaring area if you know you assume Gobert's going to be back and he's going to be fine uh is the point guard situation because they're just the reason the reason they're going to the triple wing is one it's a weird lineup that you know can be kind of effective but two like they don't really have a point guard they can trust Neto's not a oh did we lose Zach I think we lost Zach. Uh, okay, oh, there he's he is. Back. Okay. You, you cut off there for a second, Zach. You want to you repeat the last like seven seconds there? Yeah, I just think like. <laughs> oh, that's not good. So we lost Zach for a second. We're going to talk for a moment. I, I think the point the the point Zach was going down is I think one that most people have kind of identified. The Jazz have two big areas of weakness, right? They're strong on the wing. They have issues potentially at point guard and with their backup bigs. And I think that's an issue whether or not Rudy Gobert's issues linger. Like If he's 100% from January 5th on until the rest of the season, I still think that third big is a potentially large issue. Yeah, because you know even if you're, you're not starting Trevor Booker or Trey Lyles, but those guys are still getting major minutes uh, behind Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Zach, are you back? I think so. All right, okay, we got Zach back. Cool. So we were just talking about that. You've identified the two areas that I think most people would identify. That, but the point guard situation is a concern for now. Backup bigs are, are a concern. And, and I think we should mention before we go any further that at least as far as the point guard situation goes, you have to remember the elephant in the room, which is that Dante Exum is back next year and the Jazz view him as the starter. And that if you're going to make moves that could potentially threaten that, at the very least you have to give them a lot of thought. 
And at, at worst, they might just not be possible. Do we? I think we kind of agree on that, right? Yeah, or at least that's how the front office definitely views it. Is yeah. They see Dante Exum as a starter. Sure, he's out right now, but they don't want to acquire anything that would take away developmental time from, from Dante Exum. Right. So, Zach, with that in mind, and in both those areas, did you have a guy or two who you might look at that you think could work for the Jazz? Well, I think like you have to look at backup point guards who could possibly you know, be looking to freeze. I mean, I think you're looking at like a Reggie Jackson of last year's situation, but I don't know if there is that Reggie Jackson right now. I mean, maybe you try to pry like a Jeremy Lin, but Charlotte's really into Jeremy Lin right now. Like maybe you, you see how healthy Brandon Jennings is in a month and you go after him because he's a short term. But I, you know, I don't know that there's a depth of available point guards right now, which makes the situation, the situation tricky. One guy we have on the list as a potential is Darren Collison. What would what would you think of that? Are you a fan of his? Do you think that he could be got be gotten be whatever for <laughs> be acquired a, be acquired for a, for something that would work within the Jazz's uh, situation? I mean, it's the Kings. Anything is possible. <laughs> like they they could make any trade at any time. So I think that I think Darren Collison's actually a, a great target. I don't know how available he is because I do think he works really well. And then you have you know you don't know how much you trust Rajon Rondo, although that looked okay at times on the court when he's not berating officials. Uh, but other than that, like Collison has been very good in that role before. And I think that I don't think it would take too much. Like you dangle, you could probably dangle like a heavily protected first. That's likely to become, uh, you know, two second round picks. And then, you know, some of their wing depth, and I think it gets done. And the jazz have what you just mentioned. The jazz have a heavily protected pick that could become two seconds pretty easily. Yeah. So, you know, are we talking like, the Oklahoma City first round pick that the Jazz have, plus, I mean, uh, when you say wing depth, are we are we talking Alec Burks? Or are we talking no Joe I, Ingles? I don't think it would take Alec Burks, like like maybe like a Joe Ingles, like maybe even you know this is you probably would want to get more than Darren Collison, but maybe you dangle a Rodney Hood. Like I you know I think Rodney Hood's a guy worth keeping around. I think like I think he's a, a really good shooter who's going to turn it on so i'm not crazy about the idea of moving him but if you're desperate for a point guard that's maybe what it takes i think that a lot of jazz fans would freak out if something like that happened like they would need to get something of more long-term value back like i yeah, yeah, my immediate maybe thought that is turns into like a three-team deal right like yeah you bring another player from a like that's that turns into a much bigger deal when you start thinking about an asset like rodney Hood. yeah because i and i think he might be another who the, at least given the way he's playing right now the front office might view his value as significantly higher than that than what he could fetch on the trade market right because other teams look at him and say look he's shooting whatever 29 percent from three um and the jazz look at him and say well no we think he can be a good shooter and move forward from there right i mean there's kind of a a value asset value dissonance there between the two teams right so and right and, the, and that's where and that's where you get in tricky territory of your value of a guy versus how much you need to like bring in a stop gap at a position right right and so let's let's ask about another guy here really quick. And this we had uh, some conversations. I think you were gone by then, Zach. But the, the Andy and I and a few of the other writers that were in the media room last night had a, had a conversation that in part touched on Ryan Anderson uh, with the Pelicans, who is an intriguing target because he fills kind of two needs for the Jazz. He could be another capable big that could either start for you now or could come off the bench when Gobert returns. And the Jazz have had some issues at times with shooting. He shoots the ball very well, so he could he could be the type of guy that would fit with you offensively. What are your thoughts on him, and do you think he's gettable again without sacrificing? Do, do you have to get a hood type of guy involved to even have them on the phone? 
Well, I think that's the nice thing with, with the Pelicans is they're a mess, right? I mean, and they have almost zero chance. I mean, I think they started 1-11, and maybe like four teams in the modern era have started that poorly and made the playoffs, and we're talking about the Western Conference. So the Pelicans could do a complete fire sale to try to put, uh, you know, a real high draft pick next to Anthony Davis pretty soon. Uh, plus with Ryan Anderson, he's going to be very sought after on the free agent market. So that's when you get into a tricky area too of like, is this a rental or is this a long-term solution with, with bringing him in? That's where I wouldn't give up any of the assets, even though he's a much better player than we were talking about with Darren, Darren Collison and a much more higher, much higher impact player. Um, that the worry of it being a rental, that's when I, I would really try to lowball them and, and make it pick protected heavy. So if let's say you're the GM in New Orleans, what's the what are what's a a threshold that you're potentially looking at that you're going to accept back for Ryan Anderson? Well, they kind of, I mean they kind of need a point guard too, so maybe that's where you throw out Traper, right? And just say like, "Hey, you, you know, in a in Alvin Gentry system, you don't really want Tyree Kevin's running anything. Like you want him to be kind of a more of a wild card than a lead guard because I don't know if you trust that. Here's a guy who you know, can maybe give you the same things that Norris Cole does on a more consistent basis. I think maybe that's a good starting point. Okay. So it is, I don't, I just, and I, I think this was the crux of some of the conversation we had last night is that I, I think some thought that this doesn't, you can't get a guy like Ryan, even as an expiring, you can't get a guy like Ryan Anderson without either sending like your first round pick next year or sending uh, some combination of a first round pick and maybe one of those core assets like a Burks or a Hood. It, Andy, what? It, where did you? I don't even remember. I, where I, you I came. said so. I came up with like Trey Lyles plus the Golden State first round pick, uh, plus a second round pick. I mean, ignore the second. I don't think it matters that much in the value. But basically, I think you need in order to outbid the other teams interested in Ryan Anderson, and I think there are will and are a lot of those. You need to give them something that they can use in the long term. I think. Do you think that's fair, Zach? I think that's reasonably fair, although uh, Trey Lyles, yet another piece that I think it might be tough to convince the Jazz front office to want to part with for a potential stopgap. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where that's where you get into how how willing are the you know are the Pelicans to sell off these parts because that's essentially what they're doing is just hitting the reset button, trying to get assets for what you know for their established players, and then they start you know you have to think if they're moving Ryan Anderson for that type of deal, well then they're moving Drew Holiday, they're moving. Tyreek Evans and moving Eric Gordon. I mean, they're really hitting a reset there. And so, you know, maybe you can throw in, like, if you wanted to get a bigger deal done and include Drew, you know, Drew Holiday, that's where you bring in a third team and, and really get nuts with it. But yeah, I think you do have to figure out what their level of competitiveness is because it has to be dying off. Right. So we've got. A few, we got one. What is this? One or two other trades written here that were kind of. Yeah, we've we've got two. Um, so one of them is, and I, I mean, I honestly think probably what the Jazz are looking for is a uh, even more than point guard because I think the Dante Exum thing really lingers in their mind as as this is our point guard, and you know we can figure out the backup thing later. But they really do, and talking to them, they really do want and want a third big, whether that becomes Trey Lyles developing in the future, or but someone who can stretch the floor and shoot, because that's, that's just not something they have right now with the with the current level of spacing, uh, with you know Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert on the floor. They're kind of looking at their core uh, in future years. So you you kind of look around the league and see what teams have that and and have. Um, a willingness to maybe get rid of those players based on some different situations. And I, I identified a few of them. Um, Ed Davis is one of those. 
um, and Portland, who, you know, maybe he's been playing really well. Maybe Portland's willing to give him up depending on how they feel about him versus Myers-Leonard. Uh, one of the Boston bigs, obviously, they have they have a lot of those kind of jump shooting bigs that they've used to great effect. Uh, Markeith Morris is is almost certainly available. Where do you come down on some of those situations that I just mentioned? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure I would trust Ed Davis. I like Ed Davis and I like his game, but there's a reason he's been bouncing around, right? And at a certain point, you kind of have to look at the constant in that situation, and maybe he's not the guy to stabilize the rotation the way you're hoping. Uh, with Markeith Morris, I'm not really trusting his attitude. I mean, maybe he, things open up when he moves away from Phoenix at a certain point and he can feel better about that. The nice thing is he's he's long-term at a, at a very good contract, especially when the salary cap jumps. So he could end up being a steal as long as you think you can keep him happy. Uh, with the Boston big situation, like, they're not playing Tyler Zeller. And Tyler Zeller is way better than Jared Selinger. And Tyler Zeller's not playing. And I that makes me wonder – you know, how easily he could, he could be dealt for. And, and if he does, like, he's a guy who can hit a mid-range jumper. He's a solid defender. He's great on the boards. Like, he doesn't have that three-point range you're talking about, but he immediately makes that big man rotation a lot better. The thing I have with Boston, the, my only concern there is that, like, yeah, they've got a bunch of pieces that could potentially be available and could potentially help the Jazz, but what do the Jazz have that they need or want? Well, they love guys that are under six foot five. So anybody on the roster who's under <laughs> six five, they're just gonna, you know, I think you can start throwing them in. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, two... that's the thing. They, they don't really, need, they don't really, they're just looking to acquire assets before they acquire the big acquisition at some point, right? Yeah. So, and I mean, their asset chest is like really, really full. Still, like, I don't know how much interest they're gonna have in, you know, the OKC pick, for instance, or some, or the, you know, the Golden State pick. Uh, and I can't see them having too much interest in Trey Burke because they've already got Marcus Smart and and Isaiah Thomas uh, and Avery Bradley for that matter. Uh, it, it's hard for I'm j- I just have trouble kind of finding exactly what Boston might be interested in that the Jazz had. You may have to involve a third team or something like that if you were looking at, at that sort of thing. To me, yeah, and, and Marquise Morris, you know, we mentioned earlier, like he's he's the guy that maybe is the best situation because I don't think it would take a lot. Like I think it's like Trey Lyles and something to get him. And so that's a big upgrade, you know, short term. I don't know what you think Trey Lyles can develop into. Maybe he develops into a better player than Marquise Morris, but that certainly bolsters things as long, again, as long as his attitude is good. I think the the concern there, and I hate to bring up concerns with all of these, but there kind of are some, is that the Jazz are really huge on character, like one of the biggest teams in the league as far as that goes. And he's, you know, he certainly hasn't has had his issues as far as that. I don't know, Andy, if you if if you think that that would be a sort of a blocking issue. Oh, it it definitely would be. Although I do love like the stories of of Keith and Mook as they as they know each other by it, the kind of the buddy criminals in in Phoenix. I, I can't remember exactly what story I'm I'm thinking of, but yeah. like, uh, unfortunately, it, you mentioned. I, I don't think that they. Uh, the Jazz kind of you know a lot of teams have like a you can have one a hole. On your team, I think the Jazz have a you can have no a holes on your team, right? And I I think Markeith may qualify. Well, I mean, you unfortunately mentioned the word criminal there. He has pending criminal charges, right? Which that felony criminal charges, which that's generally the Jazz and you know, especially under this administration are not the type to get into it. Zach, before we let you go, we had one more in here that was that had been submitted previously by someone, and let me just make sure I get this right. It's a three team trade involving the Jazz and Brooklyn and Minnesota, and you know a lot about Minnesota, um, the Jazz would receive uh, from Brooklyn, Jarrett Jack, and from Minnesota, Shabazz Muhammad. Uh, 
Minnesota would receive from the Jazz Trey Burke, and Brooklyn, uh, excuse me, Brooklyn would receive Utah's 2016 second round pick and the 2017 Golden State second round pick. My first thought there is that the Jazz are not giving up quite enough, maybe, or the and or, or also that Brooklyn is maybe not receiving enough in return for sending Jarrett Jack for two second round picks, uh, like two future second round picks. But I, in general, what would your thoughts be there? I mean, I could tell you the the Wolves would not be interested in, in swapping Shabazz for for Trey Burke. Okay. Uh, they're very high on they're very high on Shabazz, and um, and he's he's you know when healthy, he's a pretty dynamic scorer off the bench. Now, if you swap that out for Kevin Martin, they're very willing to trade Kevin Martin. So that's you know, and I don't know how much that moves the needle for guys, but maybe that's like that's the kind of value you would get in return for for a Trey Burke right now of a more veteran scorer, an incredible shooter, a guy who draws a lot of fouls, uh, but he's also a guy who can get moody. And when he you know when things aren't going his way, if he doesn't feel he's playing enough, and they're stacked at the wings, so that may you know end up cropping up. Uh, you know, then he starts to starts to paddle a little bit. Kevin Martin's been interesting because he's he's been really good in terms of his plus minus numbers this season, which has been true like not at all during his career, right? Am I am I wrong on that? No, that sounds right. And yet he I think he's having one of his worst shooting years of his career, um, or at least had a very slow start to it all because uh he just couldn't find a rhythm in his role. That makes total sense. Like <laughs> I don't. I don't really. You can have your worst shooting season and finally be a plus in the plus minus. I, I plus <laughs> minus is fun, basically. Is the, uh, is the. I think. I think this is the first time he's actually gotten into a defensive stance as well. So you can take that for whatever it's worth. Okay. Well, Quinn Snyder can usually get guys to play defense and such. I don't know that the Jazz would have much need for a guy like Kevin Martin. I, I don't right. like you say. I don't know if he would move the needle a whole lot for them. Uh so I mean, this has been an, an interesting exercise in that I think we've realized just how difficult it might be to find the sort of guys that you're looking for, especially with the ability to get them without sacrificing something that you really care about. And I really think that around, like, I think it's hard to make trades in season now because everyone's overvaluing what they have in terms of assets and, and move parts. Like, I really think the trade, the trade deadline is, isn't dying out, but it's not as important as trades around draft night. I think draft nights where you see a team like the jazz really capitalize on a move. It's funny, though, because last year was one of the, the busiest trade deadlines in history. Right. So but I, I, think, I think also with the, the jump up in the cap, it, makes, okay. it opens up the doors for everyone to say, like, oh, well, we'll acquire a contract because we know the money's going to be there. But if you can do that on draft night where you know where the picks are going to be, it becomes a lot easier to, to swallow those deals. Gotcha. All right, well, we've got to go ahead and take a break, Zach. Thank you so much for joining us on, on the show today. Um, and as always, we can follow you on Twitter at Talk Hoops and, and read your work on CBSSports.com. Am I getting it all right? That's right. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks again, Zach. We've got to take a break on the Salt City Hoop Show. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the Jazz's defense. So far, it's been 30th in the league. That's the bottom uh, since Rudy Gobert went out. We're going to be talking about who's kind of to blame. Who, who are the good defense players on the Jazz? Who's the worst? We'll actually rank them 1 through 13 next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to it on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the South City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett joining you. Thanks again to Zach Harper, by the way, who joined us last segment, national basketball writer for CBS Sports and new Salt Lake City re- uh, resident. It's, it's great to have Zach here and at, at Jazz Games. Yeah. Next one is tomorrow night against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, uh, no, Denver. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Denver Nuggets. Um, 
Phoenix is Seven Monday. o'clock. Phoenix is Monday. That's why I was getting confused. This is the stretch of games that I think the Jazz really have to take advantage of, right? And that you've got games at home against winnable, beatable teams. They didn't at all against the Pelicans last night. And now all of a sudden they're kind of facing having to win games with, with significantly better defense uh, in, in the week to come. Yeah, basically. I mean, they, they have, like you said, there's really no other way to say it, the worst defense in the league since Gobert's been out. And I, I also want to stay really quick mm-hmm. that I think it's been disingenuous of people to kind of try and pawn that entire thing off on, well, Gobert's hurt. Like, don't worry about it. Gobert's hurt. The Jazz had like a 97 D rating before when Gobert was not on the court while he was still healthy. If you know what I mean, like yeah. when he when he was on the bench during those minutes, and that's you know that in itself is not an all out argument because things change when Rudy Gobert is is out the trickle down, then the lineups you have to play is different, so on and so forth. So that's not to say that it should just stay at ninety seven or whatever now that Rudy Gobert is injured, but the the gap from that to having the worst defense in the league is much wider than just Gobert's not in there. Right. I mean, Rudy Gobert is a very good defensive player, but you can't go from best over the last two months of last season to worst and feel good about it. No. Um, so I, I was doing this kind of exercise based on some things that uh, Salt City Hoops writer Clark Pojo was saying on, on Clark Schmutz, I should say, his, his Twitter handle is Clark Pojo, um, on Twitter and uh, kind of how Jazz fans are looking at these players. I was kind of, you know, who's at fault here defensively? And I think some of it is is team scheme and they're just doing the wrong things. But I think some of it is that the Jazz uh, are kind of thin on on good defensive players in some ways. So I I wanted to rank the the players that the Jazz have defensively from best to worst, and, and let me know what you think about this list. All right, go. Number one, Rudy Gobert. Any question? No. Okay. Number two, Derek Favors. Any question? I have been a little surprised that he hasn't been better in the last few couple of weeks. But I agree. That that alone is not enough to make me question that. It's really weird because he has some games he's really impactful as a rim protector. Last night, for example, the Pelicans were just three for eight when he was defending the rim. And then some nights he's just not. He's it's just like he's not there. He backpedals all the way to behind the basket and so teams get easy layups. Yeah. Um it it's a little bit confusing. But I think overall he still does enough that he's the Jazz's second most effective player, and he's just kind of getting uh, an unfair number of chances coming his way. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Number three, Jeff Withy. This is a little bit of an unusual pick, and, and he doesn't play that many minutes, but if you look at what he does from a rim protection standpoint, um, he's not the dissuader of shots that Rudy Gobert is, but he I, he's a, an elite shot blocker and an elite shot changer um, amongst NBA big men. And I think the rest of his game in terms of like one-on-one defense is is not as good as his, as his rim protection, but it's still really nice to see for what's been kind of a, a stealth pickup over the summer for him to be as helpful as he's been. Yeah, I was really happy to see him starting last night. I'll, I'll continue to say I think he should play more minutes because I don't think the other parts of his game are really all... Like, I think, as you say, he's not maybe as great one-on-one in the post, but... How many guys are really killing him in the post, especially right. given the minutes he's playing? I, I think he's capable offensively. He hit a what did he hit a jump? I think he hit a couple of like you know twelve foot jumpers last mm-hmm. night, something like that. He's a capable player on both ends. Who really he offers the closest thing to Gobert's skill set that you're going to come close to on this Jazz team. Which yeah. it's not the same thing, but it's it's as close easily as close as you're going to get. Yeah, Gordon Hayward, number four. Uh, Gordon plays some good wing defense that is I, I think up and down at times. 
But when he's challenged to guard a team's best player, he can do things that I don't think any other perimeter team, uh, perimeter defender on, on this team can do. I agree. I think for the most part, with a couple exceptions, Gordon's defense has been fantastic this year. I've been talking about it kind of frequently, especially in games against big star players. Mm-hmm. He's really stepped up against LeBron. He's really stepped up against Paul George twice. Uh, stepped up against Durant a couple of days. Yep. These are guys who you can't stop. Like, you're never just going to slow, them, you know, stop them completely. But I think the work he's done on them has been about as good as you can ask. Yeah, and Quinn Snyder's been a little bit hesitant to put him on those star players at mm-hmm. times because he does want to save them for the offensive end. Uh, but it's becoming clearer and clearer that, it, you know, at some level they don't really have a choice because Hayward is um, a, a, as much of a difference maker against those guys as, as you can possibly expect. Yeah. Number five, Howell Neto. Was, was number five on my list. I think he's done a really good job defensively um, in most situations. He was way outmatched against Russell Westbrook. Um, and Tony Parker. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And Tony Parker. And, and that one's more worrying. But if you look at his defense against Chris Paul, um, uh, honestly, I thought he played good defense last night. Uh, and, and for most of the season, he's sticking with the pick and roll and making the right play, I think, a lot more often than, again, a lot of the Jazz's perimeter defenders are. The reason I might drop him below the next guy we're going to say, it's a nitpick, but you kind of talked about the guys he's had trouble with. Mm-hmm. Parker was weird. It was weird to see him have trouble with Parker because yeah. he doesn't fit the mold as much. But anybody with reasonable athleticism who can dribble is 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 hurting Neto at that position because yeah. he just doesn't have the athleticism to keep up with him. The other guy he actually did pretty well against was Curry in the, the in the Golden State game. Well, he's a guy with pretty reasonable athleticism. He's more like quicks and a lot. His but dribbling that's true is with Tony insane. Parker too, right? That's that's true. Um, uh, Steph is obviously a much more dangerous all around player in right. every way than than Tony Parker. I, I I'm there are times where I I with Neto I'm like this is great. He's got a ton of energy. He knows all the angles and where to be and gets in front of guys before they get to their spots. And then sometimes. He's just a mile late, and I, I've had a trouble kind of uh, assessing that fully. The next guy you had is Millsap. I'd probably yeah. put him over him, over Neto, just because I think he's a bit more consistent. I mean, he's consistent with the bad stuff, oh, too. Like, he yeah. fouls all the time, which he's at least he's consistent with. I, I, I don't know that he is. I, I look over when Elijah Millsap is in the game, and I see Quinn yelling at him pretty frequently, and a lot of times that's on the offensive end. But I think... Sometimes on the defensive end, he's either matching up wrong or doing the wrong kind of thing. I'm I'm seeing some frustration there. I, I I agree with you. I do. I think his raw skill and athleticism defensively are so high that he gets a pass on some of these things as an as value contributed. He doesn't get a pass from Quinn Snyder, of course, but as as right. far as the value he contributes, okay. he can guard a wider variety of players than Neto can. Is another thing like by a ton. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's why I'd, I'd maybe have him a little higher. And, and that's fine. Um, both of those players have very, very good defensive plus minuses, I yep. should point out. The Jazz are a lot better when they're on the floor defensively. Yep. So that that's why they're higher than kind of the next part of this list. So Elijah Millsap, you're right, was number six. Number seven is Rodney Hood. He's weird. Uh, I thought he was horrific last night. Yep. Um I think that may have been a lot because of his knee uh, contusion mm-hmm. that kind of slowed him down a little bit. And he, he said he, it was hurting him, right? Yeah, and he said it was hurting him during the game, so that's good. But I think in general, um, he it doesn't always make the right plays and uh, frequently enough, and doesn't really give you much. He's not getting a lot of steals. Uh, he feels pretty mediocre. That was a concern coming out of college was that he didn't have the wingspan to get steals and blocks right. that you needed. I-, I thought he was way above expectations last year. Mm-hmm. As far as his lateral speed was great, he knew where to be a lot more quickly than you expect most rookies to get that. 
I, I do think he's regressed to some point this year. I think that his entire game is kind of in his own head at this point. I, think he's, bit, I think he's thinking about it way too much, just everything. Even on defense? I think that trickles that stuff trickles down to defense, too. <laughs> I think the entire Jazz team, too, and we'll discuss this later, I think the whole team is in their heads to some point defensively. I okay. think they want so badly to do the right stuff that they're 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 almost killing themselves. Next one is Trevor Booker. Um, Booker is interesting because he doesn't look good and he's small. Um, but if you look at the stats when he's on the floor, the Jazz are a lot better. And he gets a really good number of steals and blocks, which I think is a big part of defense. Kind of uh, sometimes even underrated because they allow you good transition offense opportunities. Your thoughts? I think there's a lot of noise there, and I would have Booker lower. But I, I don't see. The, but that's not true of his steals or blocks numbers, which no. have been fantastic his entire career. No, they or have at been. Least he's good. They've been. They've been. Good good and you have to look at the players he plays against is one thing and the players he plays sure. with I, I just think there's a lot of noise and to me this is the one that disagrees the most with my eye test I look at Booker as a defender and I just don't see a good defender at all I, I see a and it's hard because the metrics are very good on Booker and you're right that the eye test is not and you know me I'm kind of a metrics guy Chris Johnson uh, he's passable I don't yeah. know Chris Johnson meh yeah. number 10 Alec Burks he's Alec improved Burks, Yes, has improved, still makes too many mistakes, yeah. and still is small enough that he's not really he's not really forcing any guys to have any problems, no. and he doesn't get any steals or any blocks. Yeah, that, that I think you pretty much just summed it up well. Okay. He's improved. Um, you have Jingles next. I would have Trey Burke next. I think he's improved just a little bit, and Jingles is really, really slow. Um, that's a, again, that's a nitpick. Yeah. Okay. So Jingles number eleven. You're you're. You're scooping me. Sorry. That's fine. Um, Joe Ingles, number 11. I, I, you just look at how, I, again, this is in the bad defender list, but he's just not really fast enough. I think he's smart, but teams have kind of figured out that they can ISO against him and uh, beat him, quite yeah. frankly. Mm -hmm. Trey Burke is an interesting one because I think he has improved, and Quinn Snyder's talked a lot about how he has improved. But you're still watching it. He's still getting beaten way too easily at the point of the ball. And that, that's what's concerning is, is he's getting blown by. And then, and then the pick-and-roll coverage still isn't great. Yeah, the, the, he, I did a piece on him this week, and I talked to him last week for it. And he, I basically identified that as he thinks his biggest area to still improve in his pick-and-roll. He's improved a lot individually, like in one-on-ones, and I think away from the ball. But yeah, on the ball in pick-and-roll is still a big point of concern for him. Number 13, and the last one we'll have because, you know, Tibor Plyce, et cetera, aren't, isn't, isn't getting minutes, uh, is Trey Lyles. Oof. Trey Lyles has been pretty bad. There have been times where he's looked passable. Yeah, they, there were a couple there of games like where they games. put him like C.J. Miles when he guarded C.J. Yep. Miles against Indiana, and then who was the other one? It was, uh, uh, crap, it was two games later, and they, he had a terrible game in between, mm -hmm. and then he had a great game again, and then since then he's been abjectly terrible. Got taken off the dribble by Matt Bonner. And yeah. then by Ryan Anderson, who Anderson's more, that's more acceptable, but Matt Bonner. Yeah, Anderson's more acceptable, but he's just struggling, and he's doing the wrong thing. I had to kind of explain to me that uh, he's making the, he's making about the same number of mistakes as everybody else is, but when he makes mistakes, they're so egregious that mm -hmm. they immediately just lead to two points, and they're really obvious that they're his fault, you know what I mean? Right. And, and that makes sense from a rookie, again, who's 19 and, and uh, only played one year of college ball and is, was a three in Kentucky even, not the current position he's playing, which is either a four or a five. So it, it makes sense, but you can't say, you can't look at him and say, this has been a good defender so far, because it's been, it's been pretty ugly. Now, the one area that surprised me most, given what the Jazz told us about him at draft time, is is that he's he seemed really easy to move 
by guys that don't seem like they have that big of a size advantage on him. Like Matt Bonner moved him when he got into the lane on him. But it, that, he wasn't using physicality there. He was just uh, that was to me Lyles kind of just like backing off. Backing that's off. that's half of what I mean. Is okay. some guys he's not even forcing them to move him. He's doing it on his own for them. Right. Which you, you can't do that. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, so that's our that's our list of defenders. Just going quickly over it again. Gobert, Favors, Withy, Hayward, Neto, Millsap, Hood, Booker, Johnson, Burks, Jingles, Burke, and Lyles is, is the full 13-player list from best to worst. If you guys agree or disagree, hit us up on Twitter at Andy B. Larson, at Ben underscore Dowsett, and let us know. we got to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we'll be talking about the Jazz's starting lineup changes over the last week. They've had three different starting lineups over the last four games. We'll talk about which one they should be using. And, and how they've done so far last week. That's next on the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. One tweet I want to get to, uh, we were talking crazy trade ideas earlier in the show. Um, we've got a couple of interesting trade ideas. Do you want to talk about them now or do you want to bring them up next segment? We got This is a short segment, so we should do it in the next one really Okay, fast. deal. Um, uh, yeah, we'll talk about them next segment. So top of the hour for those who so sent those So Justin, uh, Joseph, wait until then. Okay. So let's talk about the Jazz's lineups for next segment, uh, or this segment, excuse me. The, the Jazz's starting lineups. They've mm-hmm. kind of gone through three different ones uh, through this last week of play, and it's kind of been interesting to see how they've shaken out. So uh, the in the first game against Oklahoma City, the Jazz started kind of what's been their traditional one without Rudy Gobert in there. Uh, Howell Neto, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Trey Lyles, and Derek Favors. Then the next game against Oklahoma City, uh, they threw Alec Burks in there. So instead of Howell Neto, kind of starting with the triple wing look. Uh, so that was Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Trey Lyles, and Derek Favors. Then last night against uh, the Pelicans... They kept that same Burke starting Books Hurt Hood Hayward triple wing lineup, but instead of uh, starting Trey Lyles, they kept Jeff Withy in as a center, therefore moving Derek Favors to the power forward spot. Right. Some ups and downs from both of the from all three of those lineups. I would I think it's fair to say that the uh, the lineup that started against the San Antonio Spurs did not work well. Um, <laughs> no. The the Neto Trey Lyles one, but then again, that one worked pretty well against the Indiana Pacers. It did. So, uh, w- where do you come out on on what you think the starting lineup should be? Well, honestly, I I come out on until Rudy Gobert returns. I think there are situations where you can you can mix it up depending on who you're playing against. That said, the one that I think has offers the most consistent potential to be good is the one that we saw last night, which is what I and a couple others on Twitter have been clamoring for for a little while since Gobert's injury, which was with the alongside Favors to allow Favors to play his more traditional position of power forward. And then the three wings with Burks, Hood, and Hayward. They just, it's the easiest way to make sure that you have your best wing players, best perimeter players on the court for the longest periods possible and against the opponent's best players for as long as possible, which in my opinion is really what you want. So that lineup, last night was actually the first time that that lineup played, and it ended up only getting about six minutes of play total because of Rodney Hood's injury in the first quarter, Um, and you know they did the rotations in the third quarter. But in the end, it ended up as a a minus one for the game. 
Okay. Which, yeah, you know, the, the, the sample isn't giant, and we've seen throughout the year that the three-wing has been only really hugely successful when it plays with both Gobert and Favors, which obviously can't happen right now. Right. But I, I don't think that that changes the fact that it, those are your three best players on the perimeter that you can play. And therefore, I th- there are enough ways to stagger substitutions and things like that, which Quinn Snyder's been doing very well, I think, to so that you're not just taking all three of them off the court at once type of thing and having to run you know, too many of, you know, Trey Burke, Elijah Millsap, and, and Joe Ingles type, line, you know, perimeter. And I think that was a problem last night where the Jazz did have favors and, and with the out there, um, not together at times, I guess I should say. So they they didn't play either of those guys in the, in the lineup. You saw Booker and Lyles combinations for parts of the second quarter. And I think the Jazz really struggled then, as, as really they have all season, when their only big men in the game are, are Trevor Booker and Trey Lyles. Yeah, now one thing I think I can say with confirmation and with, with, with vigor is that when Rudy Gobert returns, again, I believe that he should just come in for Withy in the lineup we've been talking about, and I think they should continue starting the three wings alongside those two, especially because that exact five-man unit has been very good yeah, when you they've look, played together. you look at the stats and, and that, the, the triple wing lineup, uh, I'm trying to find it in my in my list here, excuse me. Um, so let me let me start from here, first of all. The the lineup with Trey Lyles in, in the triple wing, uh, kind of the one that they've been starting recently against Oklahoma City, um, is a plus six overall in 24 minutes so that's you know that's pretty good the the same lineup but with Howell Neto in the as the point guard rather than Alec Burks is a minus 13 in 65 minutes right so that supports your your um argument there you're right though that the the triple wing kind of with with all of those players combined where you've got Rudy Gobert Derek Favors Alec Burks Rodney Hood and Gordon Hayward that's been a plus 11 in 55 minutes um I, I would categorize that as good but not great yeah, I think you could say that it was better earlier on in the year, and then they had a couple games against like the Oak in a couple of good teams that brought it down. And actually, the the Howell Neto um, version of that lineup is a little bit better. It ha- yeah, that one's been good. That said, I, I and and this is something you and I have talked about quite a bit. Yeah, is I I just and I I hate to say it because I think he works really hard when he plays, and there are great things he brings when he plays. I just don't think you can be playing Raul Neto starter level minutes or even really anywhere. But close. he's not getting starter level minutes. No, but he got I also ten minutes a night. You more know, importantly, as... I don't. Th- if you're gonna give him those minutes, they can't be against five man starting units for the opponent. I just I... there's too many times where he's getting hurt by those units. I don't think so. I think actually he's more useful against those guys than at any other point in the game. Well, I don't know that we have enough time left to fully debate no, that. No, I mean, let's, I, tell me what you think. We I, got we got a minute. I I just disagree. I can't. I don't honestly know. I'd have to look at the Seth Partnell's numbers that he's got like, on the nylon calculus. Take the Golden State game. He was much better against Steph Curry than I thought Alec Burks was. Right. That's a that's a very individualized matchup. Okay. I I think in the cumulative sense, and this is something I said to you on press row last night. Mm-hmm. It's for me. Let's say that Rodney Hood and Alec Burks can both play X number of minutes. That's the max minutes they can play per night. Any minutes that they play below that threshold, that those minutes then go to Raul Neto, in my opinion, it's almost always bad. Like, I th- there there might be one or two circles. Like, I thought he did a really good job on Curry, and that would be one of them. I, I think there are very, very few to none other circumstances where that's a good thing, where Neto is taking minutes from either of those two guys. I, I Yeah, I, I see your case. I ultimately think that 
Rodney Hood and Alec Burks haven't been playing well enough to to say that about them. They haven't been fantastic, but also they're part of your future for now. Raul Neto probably isn't. Hater. Raul Neto is part of the future. Sorry. Sorry. He's a beautiful part of the future. I know. He's a glorious in- individual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, we got to take a break on the Salt City Hoop Show. Next, we're going to be talking more about the Jazz and the defense moving forward. That's next. Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700. SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Um, Welcoming you back into the second hour of today's show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett. Um... I want to do the incoming tweets first while we get this Snyder quote ready. Is that, is that yeah. cool? Yeah, yeah. So we've got um, a couple of incoming tweets from... Uh, oops, and that's my phone ringing. <laughs> um, fine. We, that's a fine. Quinn Snyder said the other day, I believe Aaron Falk's phone went off during, uh, during yeah. press availability. And, and Quinn said that back at Missouri, if that had happened to a reporter, he would have taken it and dropped it in a glass of water. Yeah, so... Um, I, I want to read these two tweets and these trade ideas. We were talking about that earlier on in the show. Um, from two fans, Justin Sorensen and uh, and actually a few from Justin Sorensen and Joseph Horner. So let's, let's talk about them. Uh, I don't think he mentioned you in the tweets, so this will be the he first time you're hearing this, of this them. Will be, yeah, mention me next time. Uh, so it's Derek Rose and, Der- and Doug McDermott for Alec Burks, Trevor Booker, and Tibor Pleiss. Derek Rose and Doug McDermott. Alec Burks, Trevor Booker, Tibor Pleiss. I'm going to go ahead and pass uh, probably pretty quickly, unfortunately. And, and the, the reasons I say that, uh, a big part of it is is probably Rose. Uh, he's just he's nearly untradeable. I don't want to say he's untradeable. There's there's almost no such thing as untradeable as we've seen in recent years. You can you can trade almost any albatross. But that I just don't think that really adds a whole lot of value of any kind to the to the Jazz necessarily. Like the, Derek Rose Derek Rose is not playing better than Trey Burke this that's, season. That's the thing is Trey uh, Derek Rose is not a good player. No, Trey Burke is is better than Derek Rose this season. I don't even think that's a debate. So far this season. Yeah. And so giving up value for him. I like Doug McDermott a little bit. I think yeah. Doug McDermott's actually the the piece of that deal, the believe it or not. Um yeah. maybe not probably Alec Burks before Doug McDermott, but like Oh yeah. I, in terms I, of what the Jazz are getting. Alec Burks is more valuable than Doug. So, like Doug McDermott's a nice he's gonna be a nice player. He's a good asset, but Alec Burks is a more valuable asset on a four year contract that's fair. They're also pretty similar in age, if I'm not mistaken. Like I, Doug McDermott is yeah, old. Yeah. Um, For a guy who got drafted last year, I should say. So next one from Justin is uh, one with the Atlanta Hawks, which is Trevor Booker, Trey Burke, and Trey Lyles, the two Trays in the league, for Jeff Teague. Interesting, but again, I just see no way the Jazz front office is going to bring in a guy who could supplant Dante Exum for starting point guard minutes next season. And they're definitely not going to sacrifice Trey Lyles, who they just picked this year, to do it. I'm uh, yeah. I, How many years does Teague have left? Two. So this year and next, or so next this year, year and the year after? This year and next. Yeah, I I, I, I just you're right. Uh, it's it's hard because Jeff Teague is a good player and would solve their problems. See, I, I don't mind acquiring a guy for two years. I don't. Right. Like, I'm saying I think there's a pretty good chance the Jazz do. Like if you acquire Jeff Teague for two years, you get him for the rest of this year where you don't have Dante X. I mean, you don't have this problem. And then you get him for next year too, and where you know Dante will be a sure he'll be a third year player, but he'll also be 
um, probably still not very good and probably deserving of like 20 to 24 minutes a game, not 24 to 30, right? I mean, I agree, I, I agree with all this, and this is something I've debated vigorously with Tony Jones on Twitter on a couple of occasions. Tony is the most adamant person you will ever find on this. If you suggest a trade that involves the word point or the word, word guard <laughs> in Tony's vicinity, he will remind you that the Jonte Exum is the starting point guard for the Jazz and that the Jazz are not going to make any trades to, to sort of change that situation. I... I I, I believe Tony when I say that I've, I've heard similar things. You've heard similar things. Yeah, I, I I've heard the same thing, and and it's it's a little bit frustrating from a now point of view, right? Like, yeah, oh, you just is. want the team to have a good point guard now, but and I also think there are ways that you could do it where it's not killing Exum's development next year to have a guy like Teague or a guy like George Hill or a guy like Drew Holiday, whoever you know. Um, but I think that the Jazz, it seems like from the Jazz's point of view, they're pretty pretty staunch about it. By the way, props to our producer tonight, Dave Gore, for going down and getting pizza for us. That was um, some great maneuvering right that there was, that we that just was, did. You know, some, the, the call I referenced earlier was the call from the pizza man demanding that we, we come pay him, which is, which is fair. And I just filibustered um, there for a good, on that Rose thing, I was totally filibustering. I, like, and was, I, we're, we're impressed. You I, couldn't even tell. <laughs> you guys couldn't even tell. <laughs> <laughs> you you have you have experience in talking for a long time by yourself is that No, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> Both of us have like debate experience where we're kind of used to just rambling on about a topic. You know, for, I actually have minutes. no traditional debate experience I of any you did. kind. No. What None. what was it theater then? I did the, yeah, briefly theater in high school. Oh, I I was mistaken. I thought it was debate for some reason, but yeah. regardless um, we we are showmen of the highest quality and nice. that was that was a good example. And and so now during the break we will Eat pizza. Everything Sweet. is great. All right, one more suggestion from Justin Sorensen. This is with the New York Knicks. This one's great. This one's a little bit cray-cray. Or, um, Which means it's really cray-cray. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony for Gordon Hayward, Trevor Booker, and Trey Lyles. Gordon Hayward's more valuable than Carmelo Anthony by himself right now. Carmelo has a better PER. Gordon Hayward's more valuable by himself than Carmelo Anthony right now. Look at the contracts. Look at the the look at who they are as players. Look at what they do defensively. Gordon Hayward's a more value, more, by yeah. far a more valuable asset than Carmelo Anthony by himself right now. Yeah, no, you're 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 not wrong. And yeah, so you'd save seven million dollars a year. Uh, you, I mean, you're right that Gordon Hayward's a better player than than Melo is right now, or at better least a pl- better asset. Uh, but yeah, you could you, you, you can could debate, debate player. player. You cannot debate asset. Yeah, because Hayward's younger and makes less money. Yeah. Uh, and this is another even crazier one from Joseph Horner involving the Jazz and the currently playing Cleveland Cavaliers who are on a run to uh, they're now winning this game against Oklahoma City by five. We're getting LeBron. No. No? We're getting Kyrie. Oh. <laughs> Gordon Hayward, Alec Burks, and Howell Neto for Kyrie Irving and Anderson Verjao. There's just no um, chance the Cavs do that okay, for I'm a just, couple reasons. I'm just saying in a crazy messed up world where that where they would do that for some stupid reason you'd have to do it if you were the jazz right oh uh, yeah of course you'd have to do it because Kyrie, I, Kyrie has his defensive issues but he's better than gordon hayward he, and he's one and, of the most dominant individual offensive players in the league yeah and not only that is no, i'm not saying burks or hood is anywhere near gordon's level currently but they're guys who you hope can at least together approximate some of that value down the line you've yeah. got wings where you've you really the point guard isn't isn't and then you could look at maybe making moves involving Exum. This is a crazy scenario. This is never the actually going to happen. The problem is that the Cavs don't do it because no. they have a pretty yeah. good small forward <laughs> He's in, right. right now. <laughs> He's okay. That's 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 the real issue is that uh that spot in the Cavs starting lineup is probably taken. Now they're getting it to play Gordon at center. That's what they're doing. 
That's clever. Yeah. Um, probably not enough, though. Yeah. All right. Houston played Trevor Ariza at center the other night against Sacramento. What's that? Houston played Trevor Ariza at center against Sacramento really? for like a good span of minutes while DeMarcus Cousins was on the floor. Well, I mean, Golden State kind of does that sort of thing yeah. all the time, right? Although but, Draymond Green is a freak. Human. Right. Uh, and, and the Rockets did it with uh, Chuck Hayes, who is like a 6'5 center, yeah. but maybe 6'6". Six, six, but Chuck Hayes is a very different kind of person than Trevor Ariza. Let's let's be clear. All right, are All we right. transitioning? Yeah, let's talk about... We talked about the Jazz's starting lineups last segment, and that kind of got us talking during the break about the Jazz's rotations during this time. And one of the things you brought up to me that, uh, and maybe I should let you explain this, is that you think maybe Quinn's kind of two different goals of winning now and developing for later are confusing his rotation a little bit. I think that there's a couple factors that have, and they're totally understandable factors, that have kind of confounded things as far as Quinn Snyder's ability to to max out his rotations. And one is, of course, Gobert's injury. You take away a 35-minute-a-game player who anchors your defense and your starting rotation— it's going to be a, the trickle down is going to be felt everywhere. Right. I mean, we talked about it before the season began that if any of Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, or Rudy Gobert went down, this team was in big, big, big trouble because they didn't have the bench to support it. And I, I think we're seeing that now. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing there, sort of in that sphere, though, is I think that, and this is a lot of speculation, and I apologize to all parties involved if there, if any of this is is sort of off as far as the speculation, but I just I get the feeling that. Quinn is is at times at war with himself over he really wants to develop these players. That's his calling mm-hmm. card. He's he's that's been his thing. That's the main thing you when you think Quinn Snyder, you think player development. He wants to develop these guys, but also he knows that it's important for the Jazz to win now. And he's a competitive guy. He wants to win. His players are competitive. They want right. to win. And I think at times, just at times, there's that that confusion has been visible. So I'll, Give I'll me cite an example. An example. Yeah. Last night in crunch time, as the Jazz were collapsing against the Pelicans. Trey Lyles played like, I don't know if I exactly, like two minutes, three minutes of that last yeah. five minutes, something like that. I could be off on the exact number there. I, I just have to outright state that I don't really agree with that happening because Trey Lyles has demonstrably not been very good. We ranked him as the worst defensive player on the team. Yeah, and and more particularly, I think they could, as I wrote in my recap last night, I think that could have been a time to look to go real small if you're the Jazz, to put Trey Burke back on the floor at the point guard, play your three wings, and then play Derek Favors uh, at the at center because the Jazz physically couldn't score the ball, and they hadn't tried that lineup that, in general, is the most conducive to scoring. You put as much shooting yeah. on the floor as you can, and they were getting beaten on the on the boards last night anyway, even with Ryan Anderson at the four against them, which is embarrassing. But which is, uh, I mean, I I, I kind of get that move because I think Trey Lyles is the best like conceptual matchup for the Jazz against Ryan Anderson, given that. Uh, Trevor Booker and Jeff Withy had kind of already failed in matchups against him. Right. And you needed Derek Favors to guard Anthony Davis. I think that was your number one threat to defend against. You did. So here's my question, though. For you, you can't do this for a full game. It's not tenable at all. But for three or four minutes, how big is the difference defending Ryan Anderson between Trey Lyles and Gordon Hayward going to be? Not I, very big. I don't know that there is a difference. For right. over three or four minutes where you tell Gordon, listen, for these three or four minutes, you got to bust your butt and you got to make sure you don't get beat in the post. He's strong enough to do that. He's yeah. as big as Ryan Anderson, basically. Right. Um, and, and Quinn correctly noted, because I asked him about this last night, that Ryan Anderson's a very good post player. But there's a point, you know, we see the Warriors do it. The Jazz aren't the Warriors. But we've seen more teams do it as well, where you realize that even the best post players generally are less efficient than if the Jazz are coming down on the other end and raining threes all over them. Mm-hmm. May not have mattered last night, because as Quinn also noted, the Jazz couldn't hit water from a boat. But at least down the stretch, they couldn't. Um mm-hmm. 
that that said, I and that, I just use that as one example of, and I think I've noticed a few sort of incidents like this. Nothing huge, major. Nothing where I'm ready to panic at all. And and I really think it's understandable that 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 Quinn is struggling kind of at times with wanting to de- like, especially Trey Lyles, really wanting to develop him and bring him along in the way that Quinn knows he can. Yeah. But also the fact that Trey Lyles shouldn't be on the court all that much right now. Well, so I actually asked him about this. You brought this up during the break, and I, you know, had actually asked him about this yesterday in in shoot around. Here's what he actually said when I when I asked that question. One sec. Well, it has to do with both, I think, you know. I mean, there's an overarching belief in, in having your guys get better, and, and we've seen that with both Rudy, Dante, you know, different guys that you know, given some opportunity. Fave in his own way, you know, trying to stretch his game. Um, you've got to be willing to live with some mistakes, you know, if you're going down that road. And then some of it, you know, when you look out, and we've probably played more D-league guys than anybody in the league too, so some of it is some necessity, and, and uh, you know, hopefully those guys are hungry. A lot of times it's it's hard because there's mistakes that they there's things you can't you have to just live through, and that means we have to live through them too. I I mean I think he just basically spelled out what we were just saying. It's a tough balance when you've got and especially with the Jazz things have kind of rotated. Like last year, for instance, he had a ton of D League guys up and down. This year, the Gobert injury has thrown a ton of things into flux and has kind of further complicated an already maybe sort of complicated situation. I feel for him in a sense because I it, those are both admirable goals and he knows both are very important for the future. Like what the Jazz do right now is important for the future. But maybe not as important as Trey Lyles becoming a good player. Maybe not, and that's a really tough balance to strike. Let me ask, what about the Jazz getting wins now helps them be better for the future? Well, I I I, I think, the, and I should state, by the way, that I'm I'm one of the strongest on this line of thought as far as... I think I believe this more than most people do, and I think I'm in the minority, that winning this year is not winning the championship or anything. It's not going to happen. But making the playoffs and showing showing themselves, in effect, that this is the team that they are and that they can do this and that they can play with these with playoff teams, I think it's pretty important because you look at Gordon Hayward, his contract is up at the end of next season. He's going to opt out. Whether or not mm-hmm. he's coming back, he's going to opt out. He's going to have the option to play for any of the 30 NBA franchises and the Jazz don't have the control to keep him if he wants to leave. Right. Derek Favors is the year after that. you got to get Rudy Gobert. The Jazz have control over Gobert's situation, which is good, but still, you got to make sure he's happy with as, as far as long-term. Yeah. I, I'm not saying any of these guys are, are the type of bad attitude guys that would just bolt in a second if they if they could find a you know two more wins a year team or something Well, in like particular, that. Gordon Hayward's the only one who can. Right. Well, Favors can. No, fa- I mean, Favors has three more years. No, right, so I'm saying yeah, he's one year longer than, than Hayward, effectively. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, still, you've got significant amounts of time there. to. You know. the, the other thing, though, is that I think, I don't think the Jazz are like most teams where they're, you know, like the Thunder, for instance. The Thunder were, the, when they got all those picks where they got Durant, they got Ibaka, they got Westbrook in like that three-year period, or mm-hmm. two years even, I think. And then they still sucked for a couple of years, which you sort of expected. But then because those guys are such incredible, ridiculous talents, they kind of had a year there. I don't remember which year it was where it was like, okay, they're here now. Like yeah. they were just kind of there. I don't know that that happens with a team like the Jazz as much. Not that they don't have great players and talent, but it's not maybe the the top, top, top shelf that the, you right, know, it's not right. Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Right. And 
in I, I really think that with a team like that, it's going to be a little bit of a longer process. It's not just going to all of a sudden start happening. I don't know. Like, we see kind of those kind of teams surprise all the time. Like, the last year's Atlanta Hawks, for example, also not a team with a top, top star. But they coalesced around a group really, really quickly when you look at their win total change from last season to two seasons ago. That's true, though. They did have, there was a lot more veteran presence on that team. Um, sure. And, and some different factors. And I, I, there, are, there could but certainly there, be exceptions. Some of this is also just the general feel I get from this Jazz team. I just don't see this being the kind of team where it's like, you know, let's say they're okay this year and they're okay next year, and then the year after they just come out and blow the doors off everybody to start the year. I just don't know if I see it. I see it more as more of a gradual thing for this team and that I that they have to kind of feel themselves doing it to kind of understand that they can. But I, I think that's much more about the amount of talent they have than whether or not they feel themselves doing it. Yeah, I would Which, I would say that's true. It's a pretty strong UDQM, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that is that is pretty. Um, yeah. I I like, uh, you know, ultimately whether or not the Jazz feel good about what kind of basketball they're playing, they're still limited by their their own skills and strengths and and weaknesses a little bit, right? Right. So that the Jazz aren't winning games right now is not because they're sad about having lost games previously. It's because they don't have enough talent on the floor. And so next season, if they do you know, get a, a good to great player in, in a free agency or a trade and they have the talent to win games, it won't matter if they didn't make the playoffs this season if next season they are a 50-win team. I think there's a threshold, though, at which that mental side of things starts to matter more. Like, the, the 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 area they're at right now, the talent is by far the biggest thing, and talent's always by far the biggest thing, but when I think when you're looking to go from that good to great team level, I think that's where there's an element of it, and again, this is super unscientific, and I, I find myself making lots of unscientific arguments lately, it Stop almost it. bothers me, no, but, I, I feel, but I honestly, I feel fairly strongly about this, also combined with the fact that while every indication so far is that guys like Hayward and Favors are totally happy here, years go by quick. All of a sudden, yeah. this guy's contract's about to be up. All of a sudden, some rumor comes out from some local person that he's thinking about going to X town or he's thinking about going to Boston and reuniting with Brad Stevens or, you know, that rumor right. is no, going to happen that's from somebody. It's absolutely going to happen. It's already happened three times in his career. Yeah, and and it just, for me, I, I, I think but, that giving them that that satisfaction that they know they've they've been in the playoffs a couple years before that happens, so on and so I, forth, would help. So you're saying that if like the Brad Stevens rumor comes out, then Gordon Hayward plays worse, is, or is he's no, more no, likely no. to leave? I, I I just think that there's I think that these are really competitive guys, like more yeah. than we maybe may even understand, and that they're you know Gordon Hayward is a is a guy who's worked really really hard in his career to become what he is. If you look at what that guy was when he entered the league and what he is no now, doubt. He's, he has worked so hard, and if he gets the feeling in the back of his mind like this isn't going anywhere, we're going to be a seven seed for the rest of my career. I don't want to play out the rest of my prime as a seven seed there's so much there's going to be so much money available on the as far as the as free agency he there's going to be five teams lining up to give him maxes and sure one of them could have a, a better situation and i just think everything you can do to make sure that's in as good of a situation as possible is stuff you should do i don't know how many teams have a better situation long term that gordon hayward looks at in the summer of 2016 and says or 2017 i should say and says this is going to be better for me than than the Jazz are with with Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. Even if they are only a seven seed in in their final year, it's hard to say right now. Right, but you course. never know. But you know, you you look at like you know Golden State. I would obviously love to have Gordon Hayward, but 
are they going to have the money to be able to offer him a, a max contract? Right. Um, and honestly, I don't, I don't even know the answer to that question because it's it's two years down the road. Maybe you know they do or don't have Iguodala's contract still, or, or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Um, I, see, to me, I, I think about that less because I think Gordon Hayward's the only one that matters there. And ultimately, I think a good next season will would be sufficient to convince Gordon Hayward to stay. And that's fair. And I, I admit, I, I think I'm on the more extreme end of that whole thing. I just get that feel with this team. Now, did, did, I would rather they win this season, to be clear. And I kind of want them to acquire like a, a Jeff Teague kind of player just so that because ultimately I don't think the difference between Dante Axum getting 30 minutes and 25 minutes next season is that big of a deal. I agree. Um, but that those are different questions. Yeah. Did we did we have one second before break really quick yeah, for the, the statement it. that we saw from Quinn Snyder on the Pelicans loss last night? Yeah. So this was reported by Austin Horton over at a, a competing radio station mm-hmm. uh, uh, during, I believe, Quinn's, Quinn's interview today. And this, the quote from Quinn was, New Orleans played really hard. After watching the tape, I don't feel it was an egregious loss. Uh, and then he finished with, we just couldn't score, which is something he told us last night in the in the postgame as well. My main question is about that first part. I didn't feel like it was an egregious loss. Do you agree with that statement? This is a, a little bit like you said that they were playing horrifically during the first quarter or first half of last night's game. You you actually turned to me and said that they were playing as bad as they did uh, in the San Antonio game when they too. lost by thirty eight. Yeah, good I point. Buy it. Um, as they were in against the New Orleans Pelicans, and I I don't buy that at all. I I think they were really average last night but they weren't like horrific like they were against the Spurs they where they didn't even show up quite the frankly fati- the fatigue wasn't there which is a huge difference because they were hugely fatigued against San Antonio yeah. as far as the mental side of things go though I really thought it was uh, I, I and I said almost as badly I didn't say as badly but I thought that it was really really ugly in the first I highlighted some of it in my recap last night all the open threes they were giving up in the first quarter for no reason yeah. just because guys didn't even want to just like step two feet to the right like and they had all day to see it coming. Basically, I I stood I stand by that. Okay, um, and I I probably don't. And I I say that you know they I think they were worried about other matchup things more than maybe that. I agree they weren't playing well, and I think but the offense was pretty decent last night in the first three quarters until they got to clutch time. It was actually very good. Uh, um, I, you know I I don't think that they were playing horrifically. I think to me, I, I am more worried than Quinn is though about the clutch offense in that I thought the, the, the shots that the Jazz got and, and the opportunities they got along with the, the turnovers simply weren't good enough. Yeah, I completely agree and it's worth mentioning coming into that game last night, worst defense in the league was the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, so you have to be able to execute in the clutch against the worst defense in the league. Yeah, so in a very overall sense, how how worried are you? I think it's a good way to kind of end this segment that we've that we've sort of been doing. That's touched on a variety of areas of jazz concern. Do you want me to do a zero to ten kind of scale? Like what what is how do I define my state of worry? Um, I I I, I want to define it based on what we thought coming into the year, basically okay. about this team. How how much worse are they than maybe what you thought? How has their ceiling changed in your mind? Has their floor changed in they, your mind? They are much worse on. Uh, I, I th- okay, at least pretty significantly worse on the defensive end than I thought. Offensively, they're better than I thought. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, they're what the eleventh best team in the league right now offensively. I right. think that's better than I would have even hoped for. I you know I was kind of expecting a average team or maybe a below average team if things didn't go well, um, but defensively, I, I expected a lot more from this team, and so that's that's a bummer. 
LeBron James just ran over this poor I was woman. Say, that just... must have hurt. Like, I hope that lady didn't break any bones. Uh, no, was, I mean, so we're just kind of watching the NBA on, on TNT right now, and she just, uh, I think he just, like, landed on her face. <laughs> I think that's really what happened. <laughs> that didn't yeah. look fun at all. Uh, so... I, I'm not that worried about it long term. I, you know, I basically what we thought the Jazz are who we thought they were. Yeah, right. Like, I, a I think bit, to that's a large true. to a large point, I think you're right. I think there are a couple areas that are more concerning than I thought they'd be. The defense, obviously, one they have to rectify that once Gobert is back. The crunch time stuff for me is maybe their biggest concern yeah. because we've seen like five or six instances of that now this year where they have totally frozen up down the stretch. And Quinn pointed to the Indiana game where they were good on uh, in the clutch, but they weren't that good. Like they no, they, they really just kind of came back because Indiana gave them the opportunities and and the Jazz made some good plays in the final minute but not with 5 minutes left. They're bad when the game's close and they just slow down to to starting the play with 10 seconds left and it it's just it's not effective. Yeah, and some of that is Quinn needs to get in their ear a little bit more about it. They absolutely cannot be starting that whole grind the clock down to 10 seconds when there's six minutes left in the right. game and they're up by three. I think like, we that's saw, not how it works. Yeah, we, we saw the the consequences of that last night. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got to take a break. I have to eat the pizza that I've been smelling for the last 15 minutes. Nice. Um, on the other side, we're going to go around the NBA talking about the news and notes that have happened in the National Basketball Association over the last seven days. That's next on the Salted Hoop Show, ESPN 700. As number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salted Hoop Show, ESPN 700. We're watching this Cavs-Thunder game, and this crazy situation's happened where LeBron James, I mean, we kind of talked about it at the end of the last segment, LeBron James goes for a loose ball, kind of turns his body to throw the ball back into play, and just outright lands on this poor woman who turns out to be Jason Day's wife. Name Her name is Ellie Harvey. Just completely lands on her. The chair goes backward, and it kind of seems like her head may have hit the, the, the court. Um, and LeBron landed the, on her. The, the cement behind, the, behind that front row. Yeah. Like, we were, we were kind of joking about it, but it, it's... No, it she's legitimately hurt. She was actually taken off the court on a stretcher with her head stabilized in a brace. Her eyes were closed, so, like, it seems she at least has a concussion or something. But, like, yeah. in terms of around the NBA news, well, we've just had some happen live right now. Yeah, you, you hope she's okay. Um, and I think that was Jason Day there with her. I'm not 100% sure of that part, though. Whether he was, And it really doesn't matter. You just hope she's okay. The full weight of... LeBron James falling on you. First of all, running into you and exactly. then falling on you as you fall backwards is like that's I please never let that happen to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not even that LeBron landed on her, it's that he was running as well. So yeah. you get you know, I don't know, physics, you get a lot of mass times acceleration there. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about other stuff that has happened in, in this week in the NBA. Uh we don't have any Lakers things, by the way. Oh, crap. But they've actually been sort of competent for right. a week. So, so maybe that gets them the right to skip LOL Lakers. That gets Lakers. them a pass on LOL Lakers. All right. Good for them. Good good work. Good job, Kobe. You stopped taking eight 30-footers a game, and you allowed your team to get out of LOL Lakers territory. <laughs> As we mentioned, uh, it's kind of the start of trade season right now with that December 15th date being the first day that uh, players sign during the offseason and rookies can be traded. Uh, and so we've had a, a few trade rumors over the last couple of days. 
The the biggest ones have been with D Dwight Howard and Hassan Whiteside. First of all, Dwight Howard was reported as being extremely unhappy in Houston. Reporters asked him about it, and he strongly denied it. I'm shocked that he did that. Yeah, because Dwight Howard, I mean, we've, we've heard of him being unhappy in places, and he's denied it in the past. He's he's had a weird relationship with, uh, with the teams he's been at, I think it's fair to say, where he was legitimately unhappy and then, you know, didn't uh, promise that everything was, was great. Yeah, I basically don't believe anything Dwight Howard says about this That's sort fair. of stuff. Um, Dwight Howard in a trade. Like, what What are your thoughts? Dwight Howard has fallen off a lot, he's, first yeah, of all. Yeah, he's a really interesting but piece in a trade. Cause he, what's left on his salary? You, you talk for a second about I, I think he's got one year left. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But that's, I mean, that's really the question is who in the league needs a, a Dwight Howard type of center? He was very good in the playoffs uh, two years ago. Less so, I think, last year. It, it's it's weird because you know I think a lot of the reason why the Rockets have been disappointing this year is because he hasn't played to his potential. Yeah, um, he's got a player option for next season at twenty three point two million. It's really it could actually be really interesting to see whether he picks that up or not because the hmm. cap is skyrocketing. Right. So on the one hand, you'd think he shouldn't, but at the same time, he's definitely declined as a player, and there's a chance he doesn't get that money from anybody. Yeah, I mean he'll get it. He'll get more than that over the course of a, a longer contract. Right. He but will. I, I don't know. I if, bet he. I bet he opts out and takes a new contract that's less per year. But something then that, like four sixty, or I think a little higher than that. I still think he gets like eighteen million, four eighty, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's what ends up happening. He's a really weird sort of idea as a trade piece, though, because that's that's a complication too. Do you think that are you going to have to? Is he going to opt out and he's going to be unrestricted? Can you get him to agree to opt in so that you go? You know, you get another year out of him. Uh, it's it's kind of a complex situation, and he can't agree officially, as far as I recall, with the rules. Right? He's not allowed to like confirm publicly that he's going to to opt into that next year. He just has to. It has to be kind of a handshake agreement, and he has to do. I it. think that's a new rule. Yes, now that you you can't like sign a waiver saying that you can opt in, like he he did once with with the Orlando Magic. Right. Yeah, and that's he, as far as that goes. He you know you don't trust him if he says he's going to do that. It's hard. Yeah. So, anyway. Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, he's also rumored to be in traded rumors. Pat Riley came out today and said that that's don't believe what you read in newspapers. I'm kind of maybe on Pat Riley's side much more on this one just because yeah. it, I don't know that it makes sense for the heat to trade Hassan Whiteside. You know, what would they trade for? The only reason it might make right, a little Howard. sense has nothing to do with what they would trade for and has everything to do with the fact that because they don't hold Hassan's bird rights at the end of this season, they're going to have to dip into their cap space to re-sign mm. him. That's a little bit of cap minutiae right there. But it, it is a tiny little mostly irrelevant argument for trying to see if somebody would give you equal value for him, but probably nobody would. And because they wouldn't have the bird rights either. No, which that doesn't mean that they it's a partial form of bird rights where they own the right to re-sign him and pay him more money than other teams do, but they can't do it without dipping into their cap space. Right. What bird they rights allows you bird to, rights, right? Yeah, what bird normal bird rights allows you to go over the cap to re-sign your own guys, they can't do that with him. Okay. And they're going to have Dwayne Wade coming up is because they only signed him to that one year. But deal. with the cap going up, they have enough money to do it. Mm, that's the thing is it's actually even with even with the new money, it's still going to be really close. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, in other news, Rajon Rondo this week, um, it, it's been a, a bad week for him. No. Yeah. Um, Sorry, or, yes. I mean, really, it's been a, a bad several weeks because it was the an incident in a Mexico City game. NBA played a game down there um, where he basically said various homophobic slurs at 
Bill Kennedy. Um, the NBA suspended him for one game as a result of those slurs with, without really kind of saying what it was. And then ultimately, the, I think a couple days later, it was referee Bill Kennedy who came out as being gay and kind of explained what happened to Yahoo Sports' Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, first of all, Rondo has is, is always been known as kind of like a, a smart uh, intelligent player who has actually kind of caused problems with his level of intelligence and um, incisiveness, I guess, in, in terms of an NBA locker room. You know, right. he's not the, the, the typical quote unquote stupid athlete. But for him to be, you know, yelling homophobic slurs at, at, at Bill Kennedy is quite frankly disgusting. Awful, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, you, you can't, it's hard to put those two ideas of who Rajon Rondo is into one, uh, I guess, idea of, of what who he is. I, it's, it's, it's weird. I, I like Rondo as a player until I heard this. I didn't anyway, and uh, and now like him a lot uh, mostly, less. Mostly because of what he was with the Celtics. And the thing for me is that, that whatever that ridiculous half apology was that's not an apology didn't even like potentially rip that off from kobe from a few years ago i don't mind that because he didn't apologize for it like let's be honest it's pr departments or team you know team pr or player representation that are crafting these apologies always like why are we still pretending that rajon rondo actually wrote that that's a good point but in just in general there's no room for this kind of crap he should have gotten more than one game quite frankly well and so adam silver commissioner of the nba said that the reason they didn't is because they didn't want to out bill kennedy who was not publicly out as gay and if he did suspend him for five games let's say say, people are like what that's never happened before so i i understand that a little bit all right um I'm going to skip the the next one in, in the queue and go directly to the Timberwolves, okay. where it appears that the the next owner of the Timberwolves franchise will be a businessman named Steve Kaplan, who's currently in the Memphis Grizzlies organization. He's in talks to buy uh, 30% of the Grizzlies with a clause that says when current owner Glenn Taylor dies, um, then he can agree to buy Glenn Taylor's controlling stake in the Timberwolves. That's kind of interesting to see, you know, whether or not they stay in Minnesota or, you know, at just who ends up as owning these 30 moving parts of, of the NBA. Yeah, it's it's an interesting little thing that the, that he kind of already has a stake in somebody. Uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting little thing. I, I never get as involved in the, the business side until it actually happens. That's fair. Myself. Um Speaking though of this more of the of the business side, Ken Berger of CBS Sports um, pointed out that the NBA and Players Union are, are still continuing to negotiate. Their hope is that they can completely avoid a work stoppage overall. Both teams or both sides, the players and the owners, can opt out of the current collective bargaining agreement. I believe in 2017, right. uh, and they would like to avoid that sort of opting out in the first place by just extending the agreement in a way that would make both parties happy without all the conflict that we saw in the last lockout. That would be awesome, and it's cool to see that they're working together on this so early. Yeah, I think that little bits of optimism started to build uh, within the last six to eight months from various writers. I think Zach Lowe was one of the first to kind of say he was on Optimism Island, I think was his quote. And I think more people are kind of starting to get there now and realize there is going to be so much GD money <laughs> in the league at this point. Like, yeah. even what's in there now, just dwarf, it's not even comparable to the money that's going to be in there in a couple of years. And it just doesn't behoove anyone to lose playing time and to waste that money that's there. Right. Like, if you're, if you're making, if your franchise is worth $2 billion, aren't you happy? I yeah. don't know. That's, that's, this seems good. Yeah. 
Basketball Hall of Fame made a little tweak to eligibility requirements. Basically, um, they re- they reduced the eligibility requirement from five seasons to four seasons that the player has been retired. In effect, that actually changes the length of time it takes to be inducted from six years to five years okay. because of the timeline of which they go. And that's kind of what they wanted to do is standardize it to be kind of the normal five years that, for example, the, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame also is a five-year waiting period. Right. This will basically end up being the same sort of thing. That means, though, that Allen Iverson... Yao Ming and Shaquille O'Neal will be uh, eligible in 2016. Yeah, that's they all deserve to be there anyway, so why not? One other last thing, uh, Brett Brown signed a contract extension with the Sixers. Good move. Yeah, you know he's. I mean, he's going to be judged by his record, which is obviously really, really stupid because it has it says nothing about him as a coach. Frankly, I think there's a lot of coaches would be doing even worse with that lineup somehow. I do too. I think he's a quite good defensive coach, yep. and you know that he hasn't figured it out offensively is a reflection of, of the talent that he has. Yep. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the Star uh, Star Wars movie coming out tonight. I'm going there in less than two hours. I'm very excited. We asked also the jazz players if they're going to be watching Star Wars. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsa with you. This is our last segment. Uh, first of all, gambling success for your friend. Yeah, I got a buddy that's out in Vegas right now, as occasionally my friends will go to that place. Uh, uh-huh. And he just got I a... Mean, there is a big football game there this weekend. There I don't is. know if you've heard about it on that's the station at all. That's why he's there, uh, interestingly enough. Um, and so this person put a little uh, two-leg parlay down. So for those who don't know what that means, it means you have to get both of the bets right. Okay. If you get either one wrong, you lose your money. If you get both of them right, you get a slightly larger. You know, like you don't just double your money; you get more than double. Yeah. Uh, and you can do like three leg parlays, four leg, five leg. I've I knew a guy once that won like forty thousand dollars off of a three dollar bet oh because it was like a fifteen leg parlay that he hit all fifteen legs, of, which amazing. is completely insane, by the way. Um. Anyway, my friend put the two leg parlay down. He put calves. Minus two and a half, meaning the Cavs have to win by at least two and a half points. So really, they have to win by three or more. Right. And then he put the under of 104 and a half points, which... 204, two, right? Excuse me, 204. The game ended 204 and a half was the... So basically, it needed to be 204 or lower. Exactly 204 points were scored in the game, in part because LeBron missed the final free throw of the game. So if LeBron makes that last free throw, he loses all of his money... And if he doesn't, he wins. Yeah. It would have been even more insane if the Cavs had only been up two going into those free throws and LeBron right, right. had made exactly one so as to win the their minus two and a half part and also win the under. But it wasn't so, quite that insane. But still, pretty nice cover. Yeah, that that's that's crazy. All right. Anyway, um it's Star Wars night. I'm going to Star Wars in an hour and a half. Uh and so, I mean, I'm not, like, a big Star Wars guy, but when your friends ask you, hey, do you want to go to the midnight showing or a 1020 showing, in our case, of Star Wars, you got to go, right, Dave? Yes. Dave says yes. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat? Yeah, are, you can't when, turn it are down. You seeing the, are you seeing the show anytime? Uh, I'm waiting because I'm probably going to take my nephew. Okay. So, it's kind of on his schedule a little bit. What about you, Ben? As, am well, I into you, Star Wars? Yeah, do you, I mean, do you have a Star Wars ticket? Do you have plans no. to see it? Are I you... will probably see it, but it might not be till later when it comes out on video. I might see it in theaters. You know, I don't know. Depends Are you coming if my to, the, to the KSL.com Star Wars themed party next week? I didn't even know that that was a thing. <laughs> That's a thing? That is a thing, yeah. They're actually buying tickets for us what day is next it? week. Uh, oh. Wednesday, I think. Maybe. It's at like 11 a.m. 
Uh, well, they're renting out a theater. I usually have my my chat at Basketball Insiders uh, on Wednesday just afternoons. Do it from the theater. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Jody Genesey of the Deseret News also asked the Jazz's players if they were going to be seeing the show. Uh, Gordon Hayward and Alec Burks had, I think, the best responses. Let's hear Gordon Hayward's first. Does your team have a Star Wars geek? <laughs> a Star Wars geek? Yeah, somebody's really into it. I don't know if we have a Star Wars geek, but I'm definitely going tomorrow to see it. So. <laughs> you have your tickets already? I got my tickets, yeah. You, uh, who's your favorite Star Wars character? Um, see, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like a Star Wars geek. Um, that's a good question. I don't really have a favorite character. Maybe uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. I used to like him because I like the actor. Yeah. That's a good answer. All right. You're a geek. Did he really say that he's not a Star Wars geek and then list Qui-Gon Jinn as his favorite Star Wars character? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's not a geek, but like, you know. That guy appeared in one of, the, one of the six <laughs> movies and has one of the hardest names to remember of any of those guys. Yes, he was played by Liam Neeson, which is probably why Gordon liked him. Right. And I thought that was a great answer, personally. Like yeah, no, I, I thought I thought it was a good answer, and it is, I, I think you can be a geek and think Qui-Gon Jinn's still your guy. There cannot be a geek and think that and, Qui-Gon Jinn is your guy? Oh, yes, thank you. And, and, I, and I also think that, like, so many of the characters in Star Wars have, like, questionable moral ideas, right? Like, right. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think about X or Y or Z, you know, because they make all of them so... You know, indecisive at times, or yeah. whatever the case might be. Who's your be. favorite? I'm, Who's your favorite Star Wars? I don't. Ha- I I don't know. I don't. Just Yoda, R two D two. I don't know. Like I'm. I'm. I've seen two of the movies. Let's be, let's. Oh, you be haven't honest. even seen all six I of them. Even seen all six. At least of them. I've seen all six of them. I knew who Gordon was referring to when yeah, he said no, Qui Gon Jinn. I've seen. I've seen Star Wars four and Star Wars one, if you will. Okay. I don't think I've seen two, three, you five, or seen six. Return of the Jedi or Empire Retur- Strikes Back. I, I yeah. Holy crap! You're young. It's not <laughs> that I'm young. It's that like, ultimately, Zach Harper makes this point too. Like, I don't. Uh, are those movies good? Like, everyone tells me those movies aren't good. I think there's a real argument. Except that for Empire, Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back, right? Strikes Back like, is that like I a legitimate need to see. cinematic like accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, uh, but and Return okay. of the Jedi has good parts too. Six, two, and three though. I'm told are, are pretty non-ideal. I disagree on six. Okay, that's fine. And I actually thought three had its I moments. I should watch Empire two, Strikes Back. I thought three it's... had its moments as well. Two was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And ultimately, like it would have been nice to know the plot of these movies going into watching the seventh episode tonight. But I don't hey, actually think it's going to matter that they're going to yeah, do they're going to do flashbacks true. where if you've seen them, you'll get it, and everyone in the theater is going to cheer, and you're going to wonder what they're cheering about. But they, you know, by the way, Yoda's the best character in Star Wars. Like, let's just let's get that out of the way. Yoda's, yeah, the, Yoda's I, the best character in Star Wars. He's, I, he's always been. I'm pretty comfortable. That was with the that. only part of that second movie that's even worthwhile. I watched. I rewatched that movie once just to get to that that part where he does that lightsaber fight with the Emperor. In the, the sorry, I ruined that for you. Oh, he has a lightsaber no, fight. I, I've like that's the other thing is Star Wars is so ubiquitous that like you know what happens in all the movies. Like, yeah, I know that the love triangle between Anakin and Padme in the second movie is awful, and I haven't seen the movie at all. Not yeah. love triangle, but love scenes. Excuse me. Oh God. Um, like I uh, just everyone talks about them so much that you don't feel like you have to waste your time. I'm sure Hayden Christensen's a very nice person and all, but <laughs> like boy. Anyway, I think Alec Burks might have the right side of things when he says this. Get your uh, tickets for Star Wars. <laughs> that, ain't my, that ain't my thing. <laughs> Not my thing. Have no. you watched any of Star Wars? Not my thing. Not my thing. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man. The, the, the best part is was really hard to hear. It was right at the start. He almost did a double take. He was like, got my tickets for what? Like, no. like really fast. Like, because, of course, he didn't get tickets for Star Wars. He's Alec Burks. <laughs> but Derek Favors then told us afterwards that he is a, he's not a Star Wars fan, but he's the biggest Lord of the Rings fan on the team, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's a little bit unexpected. Oh, it was. I totally didn't. We should have asked him who his favorite Lord of the Rings character was. Yeah, but I we mean, were too busy trying to decide if Jody was uh, uh, what's the guy? Gimli. If Jody was Gimli, Gimli, Gimli's oh, the with the yes, axe. Yes, yes. Yeah, because of the the beard. And the beard. The He's got a gigantic beard. Like yes. that's the only comparison you could make. No, I, I, <clears throat> I think you're right. I think that's fair. Um. I, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm excited for tonight. I I think it'll be good. Like I'm I'm excited to hang out with my friends, but. And the good news is that reviews for this seventh movie have been really, really good. So, been like, like, I'll hopefully not be wasting my time. They've been, like, over-the-top good. And from not just from nostalgic old Star Wars fans who are thrilled to see Star Wars back, like, from independent critics, they've been really good, which is actually probably going to lean me towards maybe seeing it. You wouldn't have otherwise? Are you? A part of this is that, in general, I see, I see a, fantastically num- uh, a fantastically small number of new movies every okay. year. I don't like movies that much compared to television shows. Television is just better. That's my little two cents for you guys, is that television is way better than movies for the most part. We'll have uh, to have this argument sometimes, too. Because I mean, I think television is has you get more quantity, but I just like kind of the two-hour pacing of movies sometimes. Yeah, it can be right. I've, I've gotten myself into a mode where I pretty much always prefer a TV show if I can get my hands on it. And yeah, so I only see a couple movies and... Usually they're with my girlfriend, and we'll have to see if Star Wars is going to be sort of in the in the cards there. All right. Well, looking at the Jazz schedule really quick, they play the Nuggets tomorrow at Energy or at Vivint Arena, excuse me. Then Monday against the Suns, uh, and then uh, on the twenty third they play the Warriors in Golden State. You can probably mark that down as a loss. It's a it's one of those things that you hope they go two and three over the no, those three and and lose to the Warriors, and it'll be fine. Yep, we got to sign off. All right, ESPN seven hundred.